to this episode of the Teaching and Learning Buzz, a podcast by the Georgia Tech Center for Teaching and Learning. We're your hosts, Carol and Rebecca. As remote instruction becomes the main learning platform for our courses for the rest of spring 2020, CEDL will regularly be posting new resources, advice posts from Georgia Tech faculty members, and timely episodes of The Buzz to support our faculty and students in this unprecedented time. One big question on everyone's minds is what to do about lab classes when students don't have access to the lab, to the materials, or to the equipment needed for that hands-on learning portion of the courses. In this episode, we're talking with three faculty members who run lab programs at Georgia Tech. They're all at different stages of moving their labs online and are here to share with us what they've learned so far. Great, so we would like to welcome our three guests. First, we have Dr. Mike Evans from the Department of Chemistry, and Mike is the first year chemistry lab coordinator. We are also joined by Dr. Ben Galford, who runs the labs in the School of Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering. And finally, we're joined by Dr. Hermani Sharma, who's with us as well. She runs the junior and senior lab programs in the School of Material Science and Engineering. Welcome to The Buzz, Mike, Ben, and Hermani. Hello. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So I wonder if each of you could start off by telling us a little bit about the lab programs that you run in your schools. Um, Mike, why don't we start with you? Sure. Hi, everyone. This is Mike. Um, so uh, as Rebecca said, I'm the first year chemistry lab coordinator. So I coordinate three introductory chemistry courses that are primarily taken by first year students, although we have a few upper level students. And the, the laboratory um, courses are um, combined with the lectures. So each course is a four credit course, kind of three credits for lecture, one for lab type deal. And students ordinarily under normal circumstances meet for about two hours and 45 minutes once per week with a graduate TA. As the lab coordinator, I uh, design, implement, write the experimental protocols and assignments. I train teaching assistants and I'm in the lab sporadically helping students, helping teaching assistants, um, managing issues that arise and, and that sort of thing. So um, the bulk of um, the work for students really centers on developing technique, um, collecting data, analyzing data. And I kind of have slightly different philosophies for the three different courses. There's a two semester sequence for um, really anyone who's going to go on and take more chemistry, those courses focus a little more on developing good technique, precision, accuracy, that kind of thing. Whereas 1310, the one semester course is for anyone who wants to take chemistry as a lab science or for engineering majors that only need one semester, civil, environmental, that kind of thing. And there I try to focus a little more on kind of generalizable data analysis um, type, type things. So the post lab assignments are a little bit less intense in terms of, um, you know, technical, de developing technical writing skills within chemistry and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so uh, it's, you know, it's definitely a full-time job. Uh, the courses are large. Uh, in terms of enrollment, we have anywhere between, um, you know, 1,000 and, and 1,800 students across all three courses per semester. So um, yeah. Thank Anything you. else you'd all like you all would like to know that I haven't mentioned yet? 
I think that's good. I think that's a good to place get to get start. started. Um, and then I'm awesome. sure we'll, we'll get into more things as we go along. So, Hamani, sure. why don't you um, tell us about the program that you run? Sure. Um, hello, everybody. My name is Himani Sharma, and I am a lecturer in School of Material Science and Engineering. Um, MSc has got um, several lab courses spanning everything from introductory all the way to senior design. And um, I am responsible for the junior and senior labs. And both these labs are heavily um, hands-on. And you know, MSE puts a lot of emphasis on this one motto they have, or, or relationship building, which is a relationship between materials processing and their structures. And each lab course is focusing of um, on either one of those aspects. I am responsible for, uh, you know, the properties lab and also the processing lab. How, um, when they start and as a first years, when they're being introduced to all different kind of characterizations, uh, techniques, and they build upon uh, learning about properties of the materials and ultimately processing them and stitching everything together. That's what, how the labs are now designed. Um, like Ben, uh, excuse me, like Mike already mentioned that uh, these are fairly uh, large courses, at, at least in chemistry, it's not as large in MSc. Um, They're about 60 to 100 students per semester per, um, per course. So they're only offered either once in spring or once in fall. Um, and they have similar format as the one in chemistry, so they're in, they have a, a lecture for an hour in a week and about two hours, 45 minutes of lab time where they meet with the TAs. And I also just move in and help whenever it's needed with the TAs or the students. So um, having to uh, you know do something like this over a span of four years between students is quite, um, it's quite um, you know, progressive because they start with something, just introducing different techniques that's out there for materials. And then they learn how they will uh, put the structure of materials in place and use the techniques that they learned in last semester. So to make sure that the students retain information from the last semester and bring it forward is a critical aspect in one of these labs or in pretty much all these labs. And ultimately when they're ready for senior design, they should remember everything that they learned during their second semester all the way to the final. And that could be a challenge. And um, I think the goal of MSE lab programs is to make sure that it is easy and we have some tools to retain information and knowledge that we want the students to gain out of our OBs. Thanks, Hamani. And um, Ben, would you mind sharing your program with us? Sure. This is uh, Ben Gelfond. I'm an associate academic professional in chemical and biomolecular engineering. Uh, we actually have two different lab programs. Uh, both of them are primarily seniors with some juniors mixed in there. Uh, the first is a one credit process control lab. So that's mostly looking at things like uh, a traditional lab would do where they, they come in, they'll perform an experiment, they'll do a lab report. Uh, it's a one credit class, so it's only having a limited number of uh, in-lab sessions. Uh, and there's not a large emphasis on the, the technical communication side. Uh, the other course is our unit operations lab, uh, which if you're not familiar with that type of work is 
you know, essentially enforcing the hands-on application of everything that they've learned so far as a chemical engineer. So heat exchangers, distillation columns, bioreactors, all that kind of thing. Um, that's a much more involved class, and it's also our technical communication uh, requirement. So there's a very heavy emphasis on both report writing and then also uh, presentation of your results, so oral presentations and group presentations. Um, generally, these are seniors. Uh, neither of these classes are prerequisites for anything else. Uh, so we have a wide variety of experiments that students can perform in these. Not all students will perform all the experiments. So we don't have the same kind of pressures in these that we have everybody cover the exact same material because it's going to come up in a later course. Um, we obviously still want to make sure that everyone gets, you know, the required learning objectives out of this, but there's not the same, you know, very hard baseline that needs to be covered for them. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, I think it's a great range of types of lab courses, uh, who the students are, where they are in their careers, how it fits into um, the rest of your majors, as well as thinking about how it fits in uh, more broadly to the course of study that students are uh, pursuing. So I think there's definitely be a lot for us to, to think about over the course of this episode. Definitely. So obviously what is happening this semester in spring 2020, it, there's no way we could have expected it and there's no way we could know <laughs> how, to, how to do this very quickly. Um, so what would you say are some of the things that you kind of really had to wrap your head around before you could start thinking about how to potentially move some of this work online for your students? So I can, I can start. Uh, right. oh, I was just going to say that, ahead, you know, one of the things that really hits me when I'm thinking about the lab classes is a lot of times I'll have students that are so incredibly well-versed on the theoretical aspect of whatever it is that they're going to be learning in the lab. And for example, they can come in and tell me all about uh, valve coefficients and how pressure drops across it are going to affect flow rates and all kinds of things. And then I'll tell them to go open a valve and they'll look at me and say, like, I don't know which way is open. It's like, oh, okay. So, you know, this is an important thing we should be covering with you people. Um, <laughs> and when you're moving to a remote teaching, obviously that's, <laughs> you know, a, a much more difficult thing to, to kind of get that, you know, general practical knowledge that you're not sure, you know, who's going to need or who might, you know, have known for 20 years and who might have never heard of this before. Uh, so I think that the initial thought that I had when this was happening was this is not going to be possible. How are we ever going to do this? Um, and I think that you really just have to readjust what your expectations are, kind of look back again at what the objectives for the course need to be. Uh, and maybe you're not able to get that full experience, but I think that, you know, with some planning, you can still get a, a lot of the material across. And I, yeah, yeah, I, I wonder would... if anybody else had that feeling as well at first, like, um, oh gosh, I just can't do this. And, and what has your process been for coming back from that? Yeah, I definitely had that same uh, feeling when I first started with this. Um, and, you know, it was, it was fairly daunting. And, and for me, it was like, um, 
you know, in, in our labs, I've tried recently to get students to kind of bridge the divide between lab and lecture on some level, bridge this divide between theory and what's actually happening in the lab space. Um, and I've kind of had to rethink how that looks now that there, you know, there is no in lab experience uh, on a couple of levels. Um, shifting, shifting gears a, a little bit for just for me, working through a large number of graduate TAs has also been very challenging um, because normally I would work with the graduate students and actually do the experiments with them in weekly TA meetings. Now, you know, that that option is unavailable. I'm really relying on the graduate students to familiarize themselves with the, the experiments kind of on, on their own time and, and really offer kind of a different kind of support to graduate TAs. So that's been really daunting for, for me, just making sure that, you know, each, every group of grad students that I work with has, you know, the, the, um, all of the information and did I send this to this person and managing all of that kind of information flow without the in-person kind of pressure. I realized how much I rely on that pressure of like a, a TA tells me, oh, I need this. And then it goes on my to-do list right away and they, or it gets done right away. Now that that's gone away, that's been, that's been a challenge uh, for me. Yeah, I can to relate manage. to that. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah. my, my current course has got 12 technical TAs and three writing TAs. So it's a, mm. it's a class in itself, you know, dealing with Wow, TAs. yes. Right, so I, I totally get, you know, how, how not having them at your back, you know, to some time, uh, you feel like, oh, I wish um, they were there to tell me now. So I, I try to do a lot of more blue gene sessions with them, but it's not the same as doing the experiments with them in the lab. Um, but the, the most challenging thing that I, um, I faced when I was, you know, when we were all thrown into this was like, oh my God, I spent last three semesters trying to make my labs more hands-on and I'm going just the opposite now. I'm not supposed to, you know, weigh right. things, of, things of doing all of this virtually. But, um, so that was challenging. Just, just the fact that, you know, when you prepare your mindset in, in a way that you would like to do, give every student more experience of doing individual you know, touch, feel, sense, all use your all four senses to be in the lab and get the information that you need um, and not, and, and thinking kind of just the opposite, more demonstrations now. So I um, had tough time convincing myself um, to figure out, you know, interesting ways to do so. Um, and again, uh, when uh, Ben was mentioning about the students who, who are so technically smart and have got hesitations about um, doing actual hands-on work. Um, I had the same experience, but at the same time, I felt it would possibly be probably a good idea for students who, who are socially not very comfortable stepping out um, and actually do the labs hands-on or taking an initiative to run the test themselves. But when they are put in a situation where they're doing everything virtually, they could probably, um, I think they might 
thrive better because now they have the access, but not the social pressure, not the peer pressure. Um, you have, we will be giving them all the demonstrations using the videos or other, you know, other ways. And we'll probably talk about that during our next session. But um, I think those were some of my like bright side and looking at things and saying, maybe it's not, it's not going to be all this bad for everybody around mm -hmm. and we can find opportunities to learn from a situation where uh, it's now virtual virtual learning through and labs are no different. So we'll still rely on technology, more, more videos and more um, maybe face-to-face -face conferencing or also, uh, and I probably would keep it for a later discussion, but there are apparently some virtual experiments that can be done. So, you know, all these times will be a good opportunity to look into situations like those. So it's a lot of different kinds of thinking, right? Trying to, when you've been, like you said, Hamani, being, perspecting the labs and making them more hands-on over, over time. And then it having two weeks to kind of figure out what that looks like in a different, in a different model. And Mike, you wrote a, a great blog post for us talking about how you moved some of your, you were already doing some videos and some demonstrations um, right. in your labs. So can you talk a little bit about how you kind of extended that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the motivations behind those when students were in the lab, for me, um, what was kind of related to, to two things. So one was lowering the... Um, intimidation factor for students who had really never been in a chemistry lab before. I wanted to kind of show them the lab space, show them what they would be doing, you know, give them an introduction of what different techniques are going to look like when they're actually in our lab space. Um, kind of, you know, flipping everything on its head right relative to where we are now. And then the other thing was to kind of help students, again, bridge lab and lecture. So help them bring their lecture mental models into the lab space by um, kind of putting the two things side by side on video. So have some theoretical stuff combined with me doing operations in the lab space. Um, when, when campus closed, that those resources all of a sudden became super critical. Um, they're really now kind of a centerpiece. And a lot of them were very kind of modular. And I didn't have videos that were just me doing, say, an entire experiment. So I, I had to kind of expand um, the video library along that direction of, of me kind of just doing the entire experiment, collecting some data. And then, I, you know, I can talk about this later, but but the, the data that's collected then is, is related to the data students use um, to do po post-lab assignments, essentially lab reports. So I've, I kind of tried to beef up that library with things that would make the remote experience as analogous to an in-lab experience as I possibly could. You know, it's, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the same. Um, but, you know, it's, it's gone from lowering that intimidation factor to this is your exposure. And that, that presents a whole another set of challenges, right? Because if I forget to do something which has happened a couple of times. If I forget to do something in an experiment video, it raises a lot of questions because students will see it in a procedure, but not in the video. And so I've had to kind of um, resolve some of those issues through things like course forms, Piazza, Canvas announcements, things like this. Um, so yeah, um, it's been a challenge, but it's it's been fun. One of the things I talked about in the blog post was I realized how much of those, how many of those resources that were already available 
are um, are now becoming the centerpiece of a remote, you know, lab course. Um, so I'm I'm very glad that I went to those lengths, you know, mainly from an accessibility perspective. I guess originally um, it's paying off now, which is nice. <laughs> And um, Ben and Hamani, have you also found that videos have been an important tool as you've made this switch? Um, I can start. Um, yes, definitely. Um, I had also done some of the demonstrations. Some of the instruments that MSE uses are very uh, large and they're quite expensive. And we have one unit and we have 100 students that needs to go through them. So obviously not everybody um, have an access to the instrument all times. So these making short videos are very helpful. And I kind of made um, 10, you know, my goal was to keep them short, less than 10 minutes, just the demonstration of the equipment and talked through what the process is going to look like, but uh, not run the entire experiment, but uh, give them a little familiarity to the tool before they come into the lab and do it. And safety was a major concern. And because we had, you know, limited amount of time uh, per lab session, we just want to make sure that the students are sure and not making any, you know, mistake. We do re-emphasize on, you know, safety aspect and some operational, uh, you know, just standard operating procedures about the instrument. But still, these uh, tools, because I had done this last semester, this wasn't like, um, oh, my God, I have to do all of this, all, all of that now in two weeks of time. So that kind of helped. And it's not that the three instruments that I was about to run this part of the semester were already done and ready. Um, the idea that we have done this earlier and thought about this and made it accessible for the students made it a tad bit easier for me to pick it up and quickly do it for the next All right, I don't have it for DSC. I don't have it for TGA. But you know how long it's going to take for me to um, get myself up and running into doing this was not that hard. So yes, definitely having to thought about these technology earlier ahead of time, not really thinking into you know remote lab teaching, but just giving more, more of these tools available to students who couldn't be in the lab for, in, for any personal reason or whatever it may be, they don't lose every aspect of the lab. So yes. Yeah, I know one thing for us uh, is, you know, again, we also have very large instruments and very expensive ones that, you know, require us to only have, you know, one at a time. So groups are rotating through, so we can't do just one, you know, presentation on this is a distillation column, this is how you should operate it, because some groups might not see that for another three months kind of thing. Uh, so one thing that we have gone to in the past couple of years is we've made uh, videos for all of these uh, experiments where they can kind of walk through uh, conceptually how it's going to be run and then you know a lot of the more difficult to explain in lab manual kind of things like this is you know where the flow meter is this is how we're reading it you know this is where the power switch is hidden behind uh, the polarimeter that kind of thing uh, and those have been really helpful uh, the particular circumstances for us this semester haven't really required us to move to video labs or anything like that. Um, so we've been kind of fortunate, but it's nice that we kind of have that experience as we're looking going forward to all the different possibilities uh, for what might happen in the future. 
Himani, you, um, I had a follow-up, Rebecca. Is that, is that okay? I saw you about to jump in. Um, you mentioned safety um, while you were um, uh, sharing about your the types of things that you've had to think about. And I wonder if everybody might weigh in about that too. I know lab safety is often a major component of most lab courses. It seems like in some ways that might've gotten easier, but what are some things that you're still thinking about in terms of the type of learning that you want students to do around lab safety? So for, for me, this was a, a fascinating area. Uh, a lot of our safety education happens in the lab space actually by design, right? Because I want students to be thinking about it like as a prime thing when they're in the lab space. So we, for example, had prepared some PowerPoint slides for um, our TAs to use as part of their kind of pre-lab introductions. I don't have the luxury of doing a lab lecture. So again, that, that's kind of filtered through TAs. Um, but now that's that's gone, right? And then the other thing was safety was actually a component of um, the course grade. There's a technique and safety score for each experiment that's awarded based on students' um, technique and safe practice in the lab space. So I had to kind of totally redo how I thought about that technique and safety score um, and converted it into um, different types of assignments that relate to the safety of uh, aspects of the experiment or the technique aspects of the experiment. So for example, we have one lab that uses a number of flammable solvents and um, in the lab space, you know, it, they're not near any open flames or anything like this, but it's one aspect of safety that's really important to think about. And so I have students kind of um, assess the flammability of the different solvents used and um, put, a, put a graph together that sort of correlates flammability with their blowing points and various things like this. Um, I've had to convert that to, uh, you know, work that can be done at home. And it's actually, it's a bit dicey on some level, right? Because I, I got a bit of pushback from students that these are, you know, new assignments, added assignments on top of everything else they have going on. And um, that's been a bit, a bit tricky to navigate. I've, I've tried to make them as, as straightforward as possible. And, you know, I would argue that it's an important enough aspect of the course and it would have been assessed in the lab space anyway. This is just converting it to a form that students can complete more independently. Um, but that's been a bit of a tricky line to walk. But yeah, for me, it's been a challenge um, converting that score that education that was deliberately designed to be in the lab space to something that really makes an impact outside of lab. So one way that we've been working uh, safety into our curriculum uh, started about a year ago. It actually came through the Exxon Mobile PALS program, Partner Academic Labs. Um, so before students actually come in to do the experiment, uh, they'll have met with the TA ahead of time in the lab to kind of go over the background and the basics and make sure they're prepared for it. And one of the things that they have to produce for that meeting is a job safety analysis form where they're going to step through each step of the experiment, look for any potential hazards and look for any kind of controls that they need to do. Um, so the nice thing about that is that that's done simply based off of the pre-lab videos that they're watching and the lab manuals that they're reading. Um, so it, it's not a you know, requirement for them to do 
in the lab. It's something that we want done before they show up, actually. Um, so even if we're moving into remote instruction, that's something that we can kind of still carry forward. Um, and then we also, you know, still use some lecture time to cover lab safety. And it's going to also be, you know, a component in their lab report grades and their final exam. Sorry, lab practicum. Yeah, the safety, um, it is, uh, we didn't have any inbuilt safety, um, like a practicum that uh, both Ben and um, Mike talked about. But uh, we try to, um, most of these are instrument operations that we are learning in the labs. And for them to make sure that they're handling the tool right, make sure that they're not, uh, they're, they're conscious about the gas, um, that's being hooked onto it and you know stuff like that what I'm trying to do is um, fill um, have them in there so one thing that was done was the report is now replaced by shorter assignments there will be small shorter assignments so one big report that the students are going to be um, writing so in those assignments we um, I kind of put a few questions in about the safety you know what are the manual or an operator errors that can happen and that could be a challenge so those kind of things are the only um, ones that i see in immediate future that can be introduced but again to have uh, more in thorough video demonstrations of um, things that could have gone wrong with examples could probably be looked at in for future I was thinking something similar, you know, Ben, also when you were talking about, you know, in the past, you know that students, not all students like even know how to open a valve, you know, leveraging all of your experience of, okay, I know this is a common um, uh, thing that students might not know about and how you might kind of weave that in almost artificially to, to force students to confront it and think about it. Right. Um, so one thing I'm curious about, and you've all kind of touched on this a little bit is, and we've only been doing this not even a whole week yet, right? So we're, we're still very early in, in this process, but um, how have students been reacting to this? Mike, you said you've, you've kind of heard them thinking that they have more assignments than they need now, or, you know, they're, yeah. they're just as stressed out as we are, if sure. not more in, in a lot of ways. Um, so sure. how are students reacting and has, has maybe anything about their reaction surprised you or been an advantage for learning? So, I mean, I would say that the students have been reacting pretty well. Um, obviously, you know, this is an incredibly stressful time for them as well as us, uh, but that they've, you know, been handling the transition well, uh, they've been, you know, pretty receptive to everything. Uh, being moved remote for blue jeans and that sort of thing. Um, one thing that I've noticed is before this whole COVID, you know, issue came up, I, I had a certain group of students that I would see, you know, in office hours more regularly and you know, emailing me questions and coming to me in lab with, you know, questions. Uh, and now that we've moved remotely, I've seen a, a different group of students um, much more frequently. Um, and I think it's kind of been a hint to me that, you know, I, I obviously always have my email as an available contact. Uh, we have Piazza and Canvas and stuff like that. 
um, but that maybe I should be looking at other kinds of, you know, remote and online communication just because that seems to be a preference for a lot of students. Um, so you know, maybe even moving forward after all of this is, you know, returned to normal, that some of these techniques are something that we should, you know, look at keeping in our curriculum at some point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think a lot of the lessons learned from this are going to, um, for me, resonate through later incarnations of the course, the courses. Um, one thing I've learned is that communication is key. And um, sometimes it's just, it's just a matter of doing it, right? It's, it's not so much what you say, it's just saying something, right? So I'm not sure if you all had this experience, but I had really spring break, right? Was kind of for me, like the freak out week where I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? You know, and you know, kind of the way I like to do things sometimes is take some time, meditate on it, develop a plan and then push forward. You know, don't dive in right away and start doing stuff that you're going to regret doing later. So I had this week where there was, there was basically radio silence from the first year chemistry labs um, because uh, I was figuring out what to do. And I realized that in that, in that time, you know, I, I didn't really hear from students either, but I, I think it, it elevated students stress level, not hearing from me. And since I developed a plan and pushed it forward, it, it's been a matter of communicating with students as much as I can as, as new things happen. You know, I, I had some lab quizzes that were sitting on, on my desk that, you know, needed to be scanned in for grading. Um, let students know when those were posted. Anytime a new resource is posted, I've let students know. And I found that just the increased communication, um, now, you know, that, that is their, their lifeline, really. And so um, I worry less about annoying students with large numbers of announcements mm -hmm. and, and emails and uh, try to focus on informing students as best I can. And I've found that helps a lot with uh, the perception of how things are going. And, you know, and I, I've tried to be frank about the workload, you know, recognizing it's a lot, recognizing we all have a lot going on and just trying to humanize uh, what we're all going through as much as possible. And I think that's been that's been beneficial. Right. And that's a, a, what the, a lot of the advice tells us, right? Over communicate with your students. Yeah. Right. And then also, you know, let them know that you are human and they are human. and We're right. all kind of in this together. Um, even to the fact when we're doing something like this, they can see our rooms, they can see our houses, right? right? And suddenly right. we're real people to them in a very different way. So um, acknowledging that and over communicating is really part of, of the best practices in this kind of situation. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I've had this, not in the same ballpark, but similar kind of um, reaction from the students. They were, for the initial phase, there was, eerie silence. I didn't hear much from anywhere. And I think it was probably because they were asked to move out of the campus and they're struggling to find uh, housing or get back home in time. And around the same time, one of their um, assignments was due just like this week, earlier this week, it was due. So I suddenly got like floods of email about a, um, you know, just questions about um, when to when to submit it or technical questions regarding something that was covered uh, and asked in the report. So, and that's when I 
sense the the stress that they were going through. That they were like, my internet is not working, and I don't have a proper housing, and I'm sick, and I'm scared, and um, mm-hmm. I have nowhere to go, and all of that was when um, I realized communicating is the key. But when I heard um, there was you know a couple of students in the class that told me um, I, that I, they they're not receiving anything, and I'm like, why is that so? Um, some of them are like their notifications was on, so they were getting probably hundred emails an hour mm-hmm. from every single course, from every single time anything being uploaded or an announcement being sent out, and they kind of lost track of it. And they're like, it's losing it. I'm losing it. I'm uh, the information I need to. So how do I communicate? Um, so that's um, when it comes to just the you know crisis that we are in. We all recognize it is very dire, and everybody is scared of that. But as far as taking inputs, if um, if they are in a situation that's calmer and they feel secure and safe, whether it's home or anywhere else, they are um, doing very good job in um, tracking themselves into every course, and uh, they know where to look for information, and they're using Piazza, they're using uh, Canvas discussion modes uh, to talk among themselves. So I think they're doing their best and uh, getting as much um, help from each other too. That's something they were, they're missing, right? They used to sit in groups and work together and work on lab reports and assess the data, mm-hmm. and now they have nobody. And uh, if they have a question and they are hesitant to ask, they don't know where to be. So um, what we're doing is a lot more TA office hours and trying to you know, consciously stay away from them, just not to make sure that they don't feel like intimidated in any way um, or fe- feeling, feeling judged in any way. And we are doing three times a week office hours. We're doing lectures. So we're leaving this open for them to, um, to use it as much as they can. But we all know that uh, everybody is dealing to the best there of their, you know, capability. But it's kind of tricky. That's um, so such a helpful perspective that your students are telling you about how so much is coming mm-hmm. through them via email. And for me, it makes me think about, you know, how important then really relying on the Canvas tools so that at least everything is grouped by class, just to help them yes. sort through it all um, Mm -hmm. when we're thinking about how important communication is. Sure. Um, I I can think of so many other questions that we didn't even get to touch yet. Like I'd love Mm -hmm. to get more into uh, the the group work aspects. Ben, Mm -hmm. you mentioned that too as um, being really important. And we've mentioned TAs a lot and I feel like there's still so much more to explore. we're, we're already are we're coming short on time. So I wonder if I, you know, if we could just give each of you the opportunity, something that we haven't talked about yet um, that you really wanted to um, share with, with faculty before we end the conversation. So, oh, sorry, Ben, go ahead. Okay. Um, for me, uh, I kind of what I would share is kind of like a perspective on the past, the present and the future, uh, I guess. So for faculty, 
Um, don't forget about the resources you've used in the past. I talked about this in my blog post, but um, something that maybe was a one-off thing for a situation that happened, uh, you know, a long time ago that's sitting in an obscure folder on your computer could become the centerpiece of your, you know, your remote course in the, in the present. And then we touched on this earlier, but, but the, you know, new ways of communicating the new resources don't, don't throw those away when the crisis is over, um, because those are going to just represent increased accessibility for your students um, in the future. Um, yeah, if I had to kind of encapsulate my advice, it would be it would be that as far as course materials go, I, I think there's a lot happening right now that I find really sort of exciting and and I think it's going to really, it has the potential to really improve how we do lab instruction down the line, um, which is exciting for me. Yeah, so kind of along those lines, one thing that has been a, a real asset for, for me uh, is reaching out to other faculty members. Um, we have a, a rotating crop of faculty that uh, go through all these labs uh, and having their inputs and their thoughts and their ideas has been just totally invaluable um, for moving forward for this semester and starting to look to, you know, any time in the future. Um, and that, you know, definitely, you know, we want to make sure that our students know that they're not on an island and that they can reach out and that they have other resources. And that I think it's important that, you know, faculty know the same thing, that there's a lot of support out there um, and that, Everyone's in this together. Yeah, and uh, I would I would conclude with that and say that um, we we I think the times that we are in is giving us a forcing us to look into other opportunities. You know, make the best of the virtual technologies out there. Um, thinking about you know some experiments that are very dangerous. You know, nobody wants to be near a nuclear in um, you know nuclear material and if you want to test it um, there are apparently some labs that that run the experiment virtually uh, you know instead of having five people into the lab and exposing themselves to the risk um, they could you know have one person load the sample and just walk out and um, the machine is being you know monitored and operated through completely uh, you know, through somebody who's virtually, you know, spaced very far away. And uh, this, this whole position kind of helped me think of um, such opportunities that we can build in to make the labs better um, for accessing, assessing, you know, not, not when the student is, is physically present, but also um, even if they are not being able to um, do what is needed in the lab. Um, I think uh, just making the best of the opportunity and then talk to your faculty members and getting the help and their inputs to what they are changing. Um, I think you know, taking input from everybody and then taking some of the things that you have done previously and putting them together is what we can all strive to do at this time. I love where we ended up. We started off 
talking about all the challenges and, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And then ending up here really with seeing the opportunities in this moment and even dreaming big to, to getting to try things out that we couldn't have done in any other way. Um, thank you so much for thinking through those and, and, and taking us through uh, your journey so far. And I really appreciate the, the, the humanity and the community that came out of your kind of final responses, right? Um, building better relationships or stronger relationships, um, connecting more with your students, because we have more opportunity now um, online to kind of maybe touch more of them than we would necessarily. And then Ben talking about really building strong community with your peers, right? Reaching out to each other. Um, connection is one of the things that's going to help us all get through this right? Compassion, um, a little bit of courage in what you're trying out and, and connection with others is what's going to be successful in helping us get through this together. So thank you so much for all of your perspectives. Thanks for joining us today on The Buzz and for sharing your expertise. And thank you listeners for joining us as well. A transcript and show notes for the episode can be found at ctl.godtech.edu slash tlbuzz. You'll also find there our episode on Rapid Transitions to Remote Teaching with Drs. David Joyner and Vincent Spezzo. And be sure to bookmark the Buzz page as we'll be adding new episodes to support faculty in this time of disruption. Stay well, everyone. for listening to this episode of the Teaching and Learning Buzz, the podcast of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Georgia Tech. Show notes and a transcript are available at ctl.gatech.edu slash tlbuzz. Check back regularly for new episodes, bonus clips, and more resources on our topics. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at ctlhelp at